Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One time, Sue and I went hiking, and we reached what was supposed to be one of the most dangerous beaches in the world. It sort of led to the end, and there was this sign, and the beach was down below. The sign was intended to stop you from moving forward, and it actually worked because we didn't move forward. But this is what the sign said. It said, do not go near the water. And many people had ignored that sign. And then it, underneath the first top uh, section was, do not go beyond this near the water. And the second had this other wording that said, unseen currents have killed and then it had, you know, those stick figures where it's one, two, three, four, five. It had 82 of them, 82. So 82 people had died by ignoring that sign. And I can imagine someone coming up to that sign and saying, what? I'm going to go and experience what that sign is keeping me from. They are not going to limit my freedom by that stupid sign. I'm going to do what I want. And so... Perhaps 82 people go down and a rogue wave or a, a terrible current comes in, sweeps in off the Pacific Ocean and drags them inward. 82 people believe they were free to do whatever they wanted to do until they weren't free to do whatever they wanted to do. See, freedom is a really powerful word, but it's so often misunderstood. It's an important ideal. But unless you truly understand what freedom is, you won't really be free at all. In fact, quite the opposite, you'll be enslaved. For the next few weeks, we're going to look exactly at what is freedom and what does Paul describe as freedom here in Galatians chapter 5. And so for this week, I'm going to focus on three characteristics that Paul describes as true freedom just by looking at this one verse. And then we'll look at verses 2 and 5 next week, and then verse 6, the following. So first, verse 1. And verse 1 describes three characteristics of freedom. The first is that freedom is satisfying. It's satisfying. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, I love that verse, but I have to say that for much of my life, I didn't really understand it, actually. I liked the way it sounded, but this concept of for freedom, Christ has set us free seems a little odd. Because what does Paul mean when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free? When I look at this verse in the context of everything we have discussed thus far, what I see is that this freedom is about an eternal freedom, a created freedom that God has given to us inherently in light of who he is. And it is created for us to enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says. So when God created us in his image, he made us as image bearers. We reflect himself. He made us in his image. And that's all people. People 
prior to sin were inclined to worship him, to delight in him, to enjoy him, to be in relationship with him without anything impeding that relationship. And prior to sin entering into the world, Adam had this perfect peace. You know, that perfect peace with God, and Isaiah, I think, rightly described it as that there is an undertone of peacelessness, a lack of peace in all of our hearts because we still have this, uh, to some extent, a, not the fulfillment, the consummation of that peace that we will have if we are in Christ one day. We have peace, but there is still sin that is impeding perfect peace. And so because of that, there is this undercurrent of perhaps anxiety, frustration. But we are told here that prior to sin, there is no greater freedom than to have perfect peace. When sin enters into the world, though, now there is no longer that perfect peace. And so we become enslaved by sin. And with sin comes sorrows, grievings, aches, disappointments, frustrations, just all sorts of things that lead us to that ache. For some of you, perhaps you've been in a long-distance relationship before with someone you really love, care for. And you might know what that feels like, that sense of longing, but distance. And there's a chasm, the chasm of physical distance. And so it creates, in a way, in a weird way, this physical ache, or at least an internal ache when you talk to someone whom you love. It could be a parent. Maybe you're now, like, I'm 3,000 miles away from my parents, so every time I talk to my parents, there is a feeling of forlornness to some extent. Maybe it was when you were dating your spouse, and you've, you had a time of distance, and after you get off the phone, even if it's FaceTime, it's still not the same, right? So you get off, and there's that ache, there's that longing. Well, how much more is that distance between us and God before Christ? There is suffering, there is pain, there's sorrow, there's death even. There's also the devil, there's brokenness, and there's an impacted conscience. So with all that, there's no rest. Jesus, though, has come to set us free. I mean, I, I, and I, I don't know about you, but uh, Isaiah, that was the first time he led worship for us. I was really blessed. And uh, he sang a song. He sang a song, a new song, Who the Sun Sets Free is Free Indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And that's essentially this, this whole idea is that in Christ, we don't have to live the way that we are before Christ. Martin Luther, I love the way he puts it. He says, of this liberty, there follows another, whereby through Christ, we are made free from the law, sin, death, the power of the devil, and hell. For as the wrath of God cannot terrify us, since Christ has delivered us from the same, so the law, sin, and death cannot accuse and condemn us. When you're free from all this, the law, Sin, death, the power of the devil, hell, even the wrath of God. When that is all gone in Christ, there is a true freedom. And I tell you, that is 
not slavery, that is freedom, but to not have that and to just try to live our lives based on our own efforts and merit and strength and power, that's not freedom. No matter how much you think I can do whatever I want, no, that's slavery. Let me give you an example of this. Um, when I, so my second daughter, she came home from college and we were driving home and I asked her, I said, so what are you going to do this summer? What are some of your goals? And she said, I, I want to um, work on a classical piece. We'll see if she really does it or not. <laughs> and, and I remember though, when she said that, the first thought that came to my mind is, I remember when she was a young little girl and piano lessons were coming up and it was, I don't want to do that because it scales. It's getting ready for the, the test and you know, it's going to the, the piano teacher's house and playing all those pieces and, you know, dun, 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 dun. I mean, that song, you know, and I, I don't even, I never play piano. I don't even know what song that is, but it's still in my head, let alone probably her head. And, and so all of that pain, hours of painstaking practice, without that, you can't play the classical pieces. She wouldn't be up here playing worship. You know, here's the thing is that you think by not doing that practice, you're free to do whatever you want. But one thing you're not free to do is play the piano beautifully. You're not. You're actually enslaved to never play, to not enjoy. But the work that flows out of a, a desire to actually be in freedom is what actually allows you to be free. So that now she can say, I think I'm going to learn this classical piece. And she can have the freedom to do that. I love the way Tim Chester puts it, author Tim Chester, pastor. He says, but think about what it means for God to be free. God is able to do what he wants, but he's not free to sin. And that is the truth. God cannot sin. He is not free to sin. So ultimate freedom is not having the choice to sin. Instead of being about having a multiplicity of choices, true freedom is the ability to enjoy the best or be what you're meant to be. Otherwise, God is not as free as I am. I can choose to sin or not to sin. God cannot choose to do so, but God is more free than I am. He has the ability always to choose the best. Brothers and sisters, friends, that is freedom, not the ability to choose whatever you want because that's enslaving, actually. True freedom is to be able to choose the best. And that's what God always chooses. So may we not think that we're actually better than God, that we think that we can do whatever we want so that we can completely be away from God. I tell you, that's not freedom. That's enslavement. So Paul's point is here. Freedom is freedom from the power of sin and depravity. It's freedom from the power of the law to condemn us, to accuse us, which is what the law does. It's freedom from the power of the guilt of sin. One day when we are with the Lord face to face, and we no longer feel at all the guilt of sin. And by the way, every human being feels the guilt of sin. When you try to suppress it with alcohol, drugs, sex, work, shopping, uh, anything to not feel the power of the guilt of sin. But when we're freed of that, we're going to be 
almost feel like a different person because we don't realize how much weight there is. As I get older, I start, I'm starting to have a little bit of the tinging ear. Maybe it's just being around instruments a lot and maybe just being old. And slowly but surely, I'm sure my ears are losing its ability to hear. You know how kids, they hear that high level frequency? If you go to an app, Mosquito uh, Sound, and download that, and then you play it, and anyone who's old like me can't hear it at all, but all the other kids go, oh, my ears are hurting. You know, over time, because of all the noise, it's starting to dead in my ears. And it's happening for us with sin. Sin has the power to deaden your heart. You don't realize it, but as it, as it goes along, it just makes you less sensitive to what the Lord has for us. Not just feeling guilt, but also experiencing freedom and joy and delight. So the things of the Lord don't give us the full delight that we will experience one day when we're with him. And when we are with him, I tell you that there is no place on earth you can go that will be able to outshine the beauty, the splendor, the wonder, the marvel, the deep soul satisfaction of being and being in his presence. It will astound us infinitely in ways that we cannot imagine. That's why Paul describes what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified with faith, by faith, through Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, no battle, no war. Peace is another shade of freedom. It, there's nothing that keeps us at all from God. We can come into his presence. There's a freedom of our conscience, of our, for our souls. And that's why then Paul writes later in Romans 8, 1 through 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. The law cannot condemn. No guilt ever again. Your conscience is free because Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And forever you're going to live with unhindered, perfect freedom to actually enjoy God for who he is. And that's why when we sing a song that Charles Wesley wrote, and can it be? Question mark. It's a question mark song. It's this sense of wonderment. So Charles Wesley is singing after being saved and saying, how can this be? And listen to the wonderment that he says about this freedom. No condemnation. Now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine alive in him. My living head. He is my head. He is my leader. He is my love and clothed in his righteousness. Bold. Now I can approach without fear, without any sense of trepidation and claim the crown through Christ. My own amazing love. How can it be that God, God thou, my God should die for me? That's why freedom, it is satisfying. Secondly, freedom, as we know, is very costly. Look at the first part of verse one again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We must never forget that it took Christ to set us free. When we say Christ has set us free, 
We have to remember, how did Christ set us free? He paid the debt that we owed, an infinite debt, by his blood shed for us so that we would be free, no longer enslaved to sin, the death, the, the devil and death. And there is no army, no bomb, no technology that can win this type of freedom. There is no price that you can pay to get this freedom, save the blood of Christ. We saw this so clearly in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In Galatians 4, 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If there is ever a motivation to follow Jesus and trust him, it is that he paid this unpayable price for your freedom so that you can be welcomed into his family. This means that you are infinitely valuable. I mean, this is every reason why we should never think of ourselves as unworthy or someone who needs to gain some sense of worth from another person by what we do. Jesus paid a price for you, an infinitely costly price. And so everything else we do, whether it's for ill or for good, it still is infinitely lower than the cost of what Christ has done for you. So that's why we shouldn't be living for the approval of people. We shouldn't be trying to gain worth and value from what we do for a living or whom we marry or, or who we're friends with or what type of clothing we wear. I mean, all of that in the context of the unpayable cost for you that Christ has already given, that doesn't make sense. So that means that you are so valuable despite your deepest, darkest secrets. If you are in Christ, that does not identify who you are. No matter how dark your sin has been in the past, Jesus still gave his life for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Instead, you are known and loved and precious as his child. Because when the father sees you, he sees his son. And so never forget that. And that will free you to be freed from the opinions of others. And I tell you, that is a huge freedom for your life. So much of our world is dictated by people living for the opinion and approval of others. And when you do not live that way, you are free suddenly you get to be the person that God has called you to be. I, I know this very deeply personally because so much of my life, early in my life, was about trying to fit in. I was always different in the context being of one particular race in an area where literally I was the only one and living a life and, and always trying to fit in and never doing so. And in that, the more you try to fit in, the more enslaving it is. I think you understand that. But some of the most kind, compassionate, merciful people are the ones who are most aware of their love for Christ and Christ's love for them. And they're not bound by people. And so they can love, they can be compassionate, they can be merciful, 
They can dress the way they want. They can think the way they want. They really are free. This means also that your life is worth living. It, it's not beyond repair. You aren't insignificant. You're not judged by how everyone else is doing. Everyone else is going to college and you decide to go into a trade or you decide to go and decide, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and serve the Lord. And that person is free to do so, not feeling as though, well, I'm lesser. That's how it's supposed to be. Because what defines us is not our education or how much money we make. What defines us is who God is. I've given this illustration before, but I think it's appropriate again. Think of a young child who brings their marker picture to you. You know, you, you as a parent, they're a crayon marker picture. You know, it's stick figures. And they drew this picture. And they give it to you as mom and dad, not because you as a parent will love them more because of it. And certainly you're not thinking, okay, I need you to make draw these pictures for me because you need to pay me back for all the food that I'm giving you and all the times I've changed your diaper and all the times that I, you better draw really nice pictures. And if you don't, then you're going to get a spanking. I mean, that would be cruel and unusual punishment. No, what happens is that that child draws a picture because they feel loved and they want to express that to their mom and their dad. And you can't, that child will never be able to pay you back by that picture. It just doesn't make sense. But isn't that how we think of God? We think that, well, here, Lord, here's my tithe. Now you're going to love me more. Here's my service to you. Now you're going to love me more. That's no different than a child drawing this stick figure picture, showing it to you and saying, Mom, Dad, this is for my, my food. And this is for giving me a house to sleep in. And this is for protecting me. So every time I draw a picture, and then if it's not good enough, then I don't know if I, I'm going to have to work harder to draw a better picture so that my mom and dad will be more pleased with me. Again, that's ridiculous. But that's how we act towards our Heavenly Father. How could we do that? He is not happy with you for your marker crayon pictures. He's happy with you because of his son. He did the work. He loves you because he's your father, because Christ paid the price for you. You're adopted. That's permanent. That's legal. It will never change. And now in light of that, the picture is, I love you, Father. I draw near to you. We never forget the cost. The cost then, it doesn't lead us to pay him back. The cost then reminds us that we are worthy, which is the last part. This freedom is worth our fight. It's why Paul so strongly exhorts the Galatians. Look at the second part of verse one. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The first part is to say freedom is real. Believe it, know the cost, remember it. Never forget it. And when it is genuinely in your heart, which leads to love, then it's, I stand firm. I'm going to work. I'm going to labor. I'm going to honor. 
The word stand, Paul uses in other places. I've only, I'm going to only just quote one, but there are so many other places that Paul uses. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Because some of you might be thinking, hey, if I'm free, can I just do whatever I want? And again, the point is not I get to do whatever I want. The point is you get to do what is your, your most soul-satisfying delight. And it is not all those things that I listed, it's being in Christ. And when that happens, then you stand. You, there's actually an action that takes place. But sometimes there's pain with that. We always remember the why, which is for freedom, Christ has set us free. But then there is then, okay, I'm going to act. And with that action comes pain. If you want true freedom, it comes with that sometimes. For example, I know uh, I'm going to, sorry to bring up Sung, but I'm going to bring him up. He had surgery to fix his bad knee. And uh, you know, he, I know he loves to run. But after, you can run seven miles and think, I'm free, I'm free. I get to do whatever I want until the knee is just scraping, you know, and you're, it's hurting and it's painful. And so you have a choice to make. Do I get surgery and be out for six months and go through pain and then rehab? Or do I just try to put up with this dull pain? And when you have surgery, you, it's, you, know, you have to go through intense pain initially and then rehab so that you can run free, free of pain. We have to remember that freedom is not freedom from pain. Not in this world. In the world to come, yes. But in this world, many times freedom is get ready for pain and sorrows. Because when that pain does come, we always remember what our goal is. And our goal is to be free. But we have to trust the Lord that in the midst of it, sometimes he brings us through times of trial and challenge even grievings and sorrows, not because he's tr he hurt, he wants us to feel pain, but it's because it's the means by which we're able to find our hope and delight in him. And sometimes it is the only way that we will find our hope in him. And when that happens, you realize after the fact, you see it and you say, thank you, Lord, for even that suffering. I needed that to experience this freedom that I have today. Any person, any believer who is walking with the Lord should be able to honestly say that they would not be where they are in their delight, joy, satisfaction today if they didn't go through all sorts of trials in their life, big and small, daily, weekly, monthly. But those times, that surgery, that rehab is exactly what is needed to run pain-free. If you, we could only see the worth of freedom, then the struggles and pains and difficulties that we face now are worth pursuing. I can't tell you how many uh, friends, pastors I've spoken to. I remember John Bruce, pastor of Creekside Church that we used to rent when we were in San Leandro. He's, he would say to me, and I meet him, met him about a year ago, he said, you know, Sam, I know the church, the, the whole church building process is hard. Because I would say to him, you know, I... I never knew, I never took the construction management class in seminary. I, I missed that class, the construction management 
you know, project manager. And he would say, you know, Sam, in five years after the building's all done, you won't remember at all. It will be a distant memory. The pains and struggles are worth it if there's freedom. We will willingly submit ourselves then to act, to even do discipline and hard work. Remember last time I spoke about having QT? I didn't want you to then walk away saying, well, I guess I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I don't have to spend time with the Lord. I guess we're free. I'm free to not do that. Yes, you are. If your motivation is, God, you're happier with me because I'm doing my QT. But if it's, oh God, for freedom, Christ has set me free. Therefore, I'm going to stand firm and spend time with you in the word. I tell you, that soul experiences more freedom than ever before. Or as Jesus says in John 8.36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, this is always a, you know, this is always a, um, a tension that we're always walking. Is that the danger is that, now, okay, now I say, all right, now let's do these things. Let's act. You know, as, as many of you know, this is also our last week for our sonship group. And uh, Sue and I have decided very early on that we were going to hold the line and actually be pretty rigid in the ways that we're going to lead this group. We have to memorize 16 Bible verses, and we do it every time. And then at the very end, we're going to have everybody recite it. You couldn't miss. You, like, there, you had to listen to the lectures. You have to take notes on the lectures. And so I've had some people say, that sounds so legalistic. How could you be doing that? Like, isn't that opposite of grace? Yes, if those things are an outflow of a heart that says, God, you're going to be happier with me if I do these things. That's not grace then. That's the law. And the law will never change a heart. But here's the thing is that the whole point of sonship is, no, you are a son. You are a daughter. You've been bought for. You've been paid. You've been, you've been set free. Who the son sets free is free indeed. If that is true then, then you will decide, I want to memorize this word. And I know this about me and maybe, maybe some of you. When I don't have accountability, I don't memorize scripture as much. You know, it's, it's true. Like Having a group of people who says, all right, tell me this verse. It actually helps me to memorize scripture. And the thing is, I want it. I was blessed because someone said to me in this group, they said, you know, the only verses that I ever memorized before was Jesus wept and, uh, and John 3.16. <laughs> and because of our group, he's memorized 16 more verses. Isaiah, the verse that he read is one of the verses, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. These verses are going to stick with us for the rest of our lives. What a treasure. That is not the law. I don't do that because I think God is now happier with me and I'm a better Christian. I do that because I want to know him. I want to know his word. I want to find my joy and delight and satisfaction in him. So, Yes, the action could be exactly the same. Two people memorizing a Bible verse. One is, God, thank you for all that you've done. You've loved me. You've saved me. 
I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. So memorizing scripture, taking notes, being a part of a group, uh, disciplining myself, beating my body, as we'll see soon, is that's, I want to do that because I love you. And I know that that's just a response in my heart. And the other person says, God, I do these things because when I do it, I'm a better Christian than that person over there. And also, I, I know that you're going to be happier with me and you're going to reward me more and you're going to make me more prosperous and you're going to not let me be sick anymore and you're going to answer all my prayers. And same exact thing, two different hearts. That's so critical to understand. When we are free, we will work harder than ever before as a Christian. We will. But we will do it because we cherish freedom. We cherish the relationship. And those things that we work hard for, it's out of joy. If you read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this. He asks a question. The first question that he asks is, am I not free? That's the first words he asks in chapter, uh, chapter 9 when he's talking to Paul. You know why? Because in, in the church in Corinth, all these um, false teachers, again, were saying, oh, that Paul, he doesn't really care about you. You know, he's just utilizing you to get his own, like to make money, to do all these things. And Paul's saying, am I not free? I could do whatever I want. But listen to how he ends that chapter in defending his apostleship. He says, verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And then in verse 26 and 27, he says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. If you don't understand Paul's, this whole tension of law and gospel, freedom and grace, uh, I'm sorry, freedom, grace versus works and obedience. If you don't understand how that flows out, how that tension then Paul is just schizophrenic. You know, he just is double-minded because you just don't know what he's saying because he's going to both. And the whole point of it is to say that we are free to love the Savior. We are so free to love the Savior that I'm going to discipline myself because I know my heart. My heart is to not want to love the Savior. It's exactly the opposite. And so when I spend time with the Lord, even though I don't feel like it, I do it because I love him. And there are many things that we do because we know, because we love that person. If you read the rest of chapter 5 as we're going into, you're going to see more and more of this tension. Because now he's going to start talking about, all right, do these things. Do these things. They're imperatives. Do this. Walk, keep in step with the Spirit. You know the fruit of the Spirit? That, chap- uh, that section is here in Galatians 5, right? And Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And if you've ever read that and thought, wow, as a Christian, I, I really don't do those things. I'm not, I don't see that all the time in my life. That doesn't make sense without all of Galatians chapters 1 through 4. But if you could see why Paul is pressing this point so hard because our instinct is to think the law. Do it, do it. And Paul's saying, no, it's by grace, by grace. It's the gospel. You're justified by faith. And once you say, all right, I get it, Paul, that means I don't have to do anything? And Paul's saying, no. As an outflow of that heart now, now you express that. 
you decide, as we're going to see in verses 13, 15, not to bite and devour one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to go again into that. So all of this has to be there. And I remember um, when I first got married, I, I grew up in a home where my mom always washed the dishes and did the laundry. I didn't do a thing. And I got married. And, um, you know, sometimes Sue would say, can you do the dishes? And I would do it. And in my mind, I'd start thinking, okay, if I'm doing the dishes, then she has to do this, this, this for me. And I'd have this checklist in my mind of, and if I'm washing the dishes, and then she would say, you know, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I would be furious. I would say, well, how dare you? Look at what I'm doing. I'm doing this for you, and you're not going to respond in return? That's unjust. It leads to disappointment. Why? Because I'm a miserable wretch, self-centered, always feeling like quid pro quo. That's not love. That's not a relationship. That's a legal, uh, that's an accounting transaction. I'm basically treating the person that I'm supposed to love like a salesperson, someone who's selling me a bill of goods. And in my mind, that transaction is always happening. It's always accounting. So I'm essentially marrying an accountant, you know, in my head. And when, as we grew, it's, you know, this is our 25th year of marriage. And in all of these years, as we've grown and I've come to understand, oh yeah, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And though there were challenges through that, and as I've grown in that, understanding it, you know, now, this is honest truth. I will just eat my food and go and wash the dishes, and there is not a single moment that I think, okay, if I'm washing the dishes, she better do this for me. It's now, you know what? I don't even, it's, it's gotten to a point, I, I used to say, okay, I, I have to love her. <laughs> I have, this is a way to, no, it's not even that. It's, that's just there. It's a part of our relationship. Not washing dishes, but love. And when love is the root of why we do what we do, we can do a laborious task, but it's not laborious, even though it is. And that's what I think we have to get to a place to be at. We'll never perfectly get there until we see him face to face. But if we understand deeply, Christ, you gave everything from me. And as we grow and mature in faith, what happens is that we decide, I want to serve others, love my neighbor, serve the church, humble myself. I want to actually forgive all of these things become something that is a desire, and I will beat my body and make it my slave without it being a work, without it being the law and legalistic righteousness, but be an effect of love, a fruit of it. And then one day when we see him face to face, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, not just for a season. It's forever. I just want to close with this story by Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
He was working at his study when a knock came out the door. And a man pleaded with him to see his father, who was sitting in his car. His father had just been released after six weeks in a mental asylum. And he was in real trouble. The man told the story about his father. This man came to know the Lord in the uh, 1903 Welsh revivals. Came to dramatically turn to Christ. Was saved out of drunkenness. This man passionately followed Christ. With a new sound mind, he began to prosper in business because prior to that, he was always drunk. He couldn't work. But once he came to know Christ, he started to prosper. He started to do well. And that's when the devil saw his opportunity. By the way, the devil comes to us both in times of want, but many times in times of plenty. When we're doing well, when business is going well, when money is flowing. And so he tempted him. And this man started following that temptation, started backsliding. Slowly started going back to drinking easing back into his old patterns, his old ways. He started to stop going to church. He he had gone back to his life before Christ, and he became enslaved by it. And suddenly, without reason, he became awakened to the fact of what he was doing. And having realized it, the devil came to him now at that point and was saying, you're hopeless. See, you've messed up. You've disappointed God. There's no way... You can ever go back now. You've sinned against the Holy Spirit. You've blasphemed him. And that's the unforgivable sin. You cannot receive forgiveness. And so he became so desperate. And so he called his doctor. And the doctor did what doctors do. He gave him sedatives. Said, you need to sleep more. That didn't work. Went to see a psychiatrist. Gave him, started giving him, uh, diagnosed him with religious mania and gave him psychotherapeutic drugs. Eventually, he was admitted to an asylum as a patient. So six weeks, he was treated with intense drugs, getting worse. So he was, they couldn't do anything, so they released him. And he, now here he is. He came inside to Martin Lloyd-Jones' study. He was pacing around, maniacal, pulling out his hair, uh, desperate, and he started getting violent. So this is what the good doctor, by the way, if you don't know Martin Lloyd-Jones, is, he was a pastor, but he was actually a physician, the royal uh, studying to be a royal physician in England. And so he says, sit down. Gets him to sit down. And after hearing a story from him, he started just telling him scriptures, just literally telling him scripture over and over again for 40 minutes. And the man became quiet and peaceful. He started thanking God, praising God, smiling for the first time in a long time. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones told him, be prepared because the devil's not going to let you go that easily. And a week later, he came back. He was desperate again, same state, violent, hopeless. But now it was 20 minutes of reading scripture, of sharing God's word. And then he was praising God. It took two or three more times. Eventually, he was fully delivered. He was free because of the power of God's word that revealed to him what he was always meant to be, what he was freed from initially, the delight. And his freedom did not come from being apart from Christ and prospering in the world. You see, people think, I just want freedom to be able to travel and 
go and do whatever I want, marry the person I want. I, I don't care about whether they believe in the Lord. I, I don't want to spend Sundays watching, <laughs> listening. I want to be free to do whatever, whatever I want. But if you're a believer of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's a good God. He prompts you, convicts you. He makes you feel guilty. And that guilt is burdensome. But it's, the guilt is meant to bring you to the place where you have ultimate freedom. And apart from Christ, it is enslaving. When you remember who you are in Christ, when you remember God's word, when you remember that we trust in him, we experience a joy that is ongoing, never-ending, unspeakable. We remember that we are forever free. We are made to worship him, to love him, to delight in him. We are made to be ourselves, truly be whom God has created us to be, to be satisfied with him forever. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that the freedom that we have is in your son, ultimately. May we never forget that freedom. Thank you for showing us through your word, through Paul's words, that we are forever free in Christ in the gospel. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as we sing, as we respond to this, that we will remember our delight and joy in you. So we want to call out and fix our eyes and even discipline ourselves as a fruit of our freedom so that we will never forget you. And we thank you that what makes that possible is your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.